Hello, everyone. Welcome to Keep in Mind podcast. For today's episode, I am so excited to have this person on today because I just admire his work and everything that he has done with his platform. And I'm so excited for everyone to have a chance to meet him um, and listen to a bit of what he has to say. So we have a special guest. So I'll go ahead and let him introduce himself. Great. Hi, everyone. My name is Eric Cusin. I'm a Someone who was not in the mental health space for most of my career, I worked in professional sports for about, I guess if you count internships, about 18 years straight, and unfortunately went through a mental health crash is what I call it. A lot of people have different terms for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, tried to navigate what I think is a pretty inefficient mental health care system, uh, led to years of misery, unfortunately, but... I think sometimes the greatest uh, obstacles we face become the greatest opportunities that we have. And it led towards me being able to form a nonprofit organization called hashtag same here global. Uh, We'll get into what same here stands for. So I won't go too deep into that, but it's uh, it's a mix of uh, personalities, people from sports, entertainment, um, doctors, uh, people who are actors, actresses, musicians, um, all coming together, sharing not what their labels are, which is what we hear so much in this space, depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD, but instead the challenging life events that they've lived through that are the source of the emotional pain that they feel, Mm -hmm. hence why we are all part of the mental health continuum Mm -hmm. um, and bringing together a community of people collectively to talk about this in a community type of format instead of bucketing people into silos and sorry, my symptoms aren't the same as yours. Um, by doing that, it, it's brought us to schools all over the country, all over the world for that matter. So we, we do things in K through 12s and colleges. We do them with um, service departments like Nellis Air Force Base and NYPD. We do it with uh, sports teams and leagues. And then um, we have an app. We have uh, certain technologies that we we have out there to help teach what we've learned by by navigating again that system that's so inefficient and trying to create synergies to help people go on better healing paths and journeys. Wow, let's get some snaps for that. That that is awesome. I just think it's so admirable the way that you're extending this mental health message in so many impactful ways. And I think especially something that caught my eye about your um your platform is that you are a male. And I feel like that has so much impact. I feel like we have there's so many stigmatizing um conceptions about like mental health and who is allowed to have mental health struggles and things like that. So I just feel like the work that you do impacts a different variety of people. And I think that is so, so powerful. Yeah. You know, it's, what's interesting is, you know, if we dive into my story at all, the um, the challenges that I face at home with my brother getting sick for so long, mm-hmm. I think that my family was very loving, very caring, very supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way that they showed their care and support was through acts of doing things, right? taking me to practices and making sure that I had my dinner, you know, ready, you know, when you're a kid and you can't make your own. Right. So I don't want to Mm -hmm. spoil it anyway, in that way, parents were both teachers. So they were on the run all the time, but they always had time for me. The one thing we didn't do is we didn't talk. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't mean that in a, in a negative, you know, derogatory way towards them. That was just their way of showing support. Wasn't through, okay, your brother's struggling. How do you feel about this? Let's all discuss what we're all going through right now. And so I think because I had to develop 
in my mind ways to cope um and and almost think deeply about questions that i had and figure them out on my own it developed into this opportunity to be able to then emote and openly express it in a verbal way to other people because it's always something that i had needed right yeah. so for some people it's it's part of the household and so you develop the skill that way for me it wasn't part of the household and because it wasn't and it was circling around in my head my brain figured out ways to describe it to myself because i was having dialogues and conversations internally and then that made it easier to be able to okay now that i'm able to talk about it because i'm i'm putting my story out there everything that was circulating in there then it just became okay word vomit on a screen or a sheet of paper and, and start yeah. shooting that way yeah no yeah that's that's definitely true and i think because you're in that position also allows you to be able to teach other people um how to have those conversations as well so that that's really awesome and i want to dig a little deeper on what caused you to start this in the first place yeah, so I, I mentioned being in professional sports before, and you know, there's a long story to it, but the shorter version of it is my brain and my body just started shutting down on me at 34 years old. I was the chief revenue officer of the Florida Panthers after a long sports career, and I came back to New York thinking I was meeting with the top doctors on the planet, Ivy League grads, and went from doctor to doctor to doctor, being told I had depression, PTSD, OCD, ADHD, all these different labels. And then based on my label, it was a different chemical imbalance. And based on a different chemical imbalance, I needed a different medication. So for two and a half years, I laid in a bed staring at the ceiling, not watching TV, not listening to the radio, just dead to the world as these doctors tried over 50, so it was actually the numbers, 52 different psychotropic drug combinations. Uh, none of them worked for me. Uh, when I say worked, meaning you, you believe when you're sick that you take a med and it cures you and now you're better. And that didn't work. And so I eventually did TMS therapy, uh, did 23 sessions of that, developed the first ever suicidal ideation I ever had 24 days in. So the, so, so the day after my 23rd session, that's not to scare anyone away from trying TMS. It just wasn't something that worked for me. Um, my doctors now believe it was hitting this area in my brain called the cingulate, which is responsible for repetitive thoughts. And so I'm st staring at a bottle of pills on my counter and this thought is playing through my mind over and over again, swallow the bottle, swallow the bottle, swallow the bottle. I can't stop that thought. I go inpatient to a psych ward. I'm told by the attending psychiatrist that my last resort is to have ECT, which is electroconvulsive therapy, or a lot of people know it from the movies, the shock therapy. Mm -hmm. So I did that for, um, for what was it, 12, five, 12 sessions over five weeks, leave the hospital feeling no better than I had the previous two and a half years, essentially thinking my life's over. Uh, finally meet a woman who practices integrative psychology. I didn't know what the term integrative meant, uh, but this is where she got to know me as a person and not in a traditional talk therapy type of way, just in a get to know you open dialogue. Let's hear about your life. And, you know, when I was sharing about my brother before, what ultimately came out of me during the first hour long session with her is that my older brother from the time I was eight until I was 23 Broke his femur bone, was in a body cast for a year, then was diagnosed with ALL, a children's form of leukemia. So five years of chemo and radiation. Then he heals from that and he's in a Jeep accident and cracks his head open on the parkway. Then he heals from that and he gets a relapse of the same leukemia from childhood. It's in a, you know, going to, going to law school while getting the chemo treatments, his body breaks down, 105 fever, he goes into septic shock. Septic shock, he falls into a coma. So for three months, we didn't know if he was going to wake or have any brain activity. Miracle, he wakes, full cognitive faculties about him, but his kidneys fail from the septic shock. So he needs to go on dialysis. We all get tested to see who's the closest match. My father donates a kidney to him. 
that's all successful. And then three of my close friends passed away back to back to back at 22 and 23 years of age of either misdiagnosed or undiagnosed heart condition. So I, I run through that like a bullet point list when we have a short amount of time together. But what was shared back with me was the your, your main question was, why did that, what prompted me to start the organization? Once I learned that all of these life events that I've been through now doesn't mean I stopped living life, but the heart of my my difficulty was between the ages of eight and 22. I'm in her office at 34 years old. And she's asking me what else impacted me as a child and young adult with my mental health that she should know about. And I'm saying, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. For the last two and a half years, I've had a chemical imbalance thinking it's this genetic thing that's going on with chemicals in my brain, not realizing what she was trying to connect the dots on was that trauma and stress build cumulatively in our nervous system and start to make these physiological and biological changes to us. And we don't notice them because they don't stick out to us like a sore back or a, a rolled ankle where, oh, I need to get immediate assistance on it right away. And ultimately the bill, the bill, the bill, the crash that I had when I was in Florida, where my brain just gave out on me was an accumulation of all of this over time, changing my body in the way that it, it was able to function. And so once I started learning that, I knew I had the relationships in sports and entertainment. And I was like, I got to get in this space and help people because what I just learned about what mental health is and how it impacts people and how you heal is a totally different language than how the majority of society is hearing still in 2023 what mental health is and how you heal. And the, you know, I told you I just came from a presentation. I'm at a chiropractor's presentation right now. They're known for doctors who treat people in a holistic way. And yet this is news to them still, right? Like, because the wool has been pulled over our eyes for so long that, that it's binary. You're sick or you're healthy. And if you're sick, here's the chemical imbalance you have. And here's the drugs that you take to fix it. And if we don't get out of that model, doesn't matter how many celebrities raise their hand and say, I've got depression, I've got anxiety. All it's doing is saying, if you eventually cross the line, do nothing about it now. But if you're one of the unlucky ones and you get sick and you have this thing called depression, then here's the med that takes that fixes you. We're never going to get better as a society. We're going to continue to see suicide and overdose rates continue to climb if that's if that's what we what, what, what the, the game plan that we follow. So that was a long answer to your short question, but it was... You know, there's a lot of motivation behind wanting to get in this space and helping people the best way possible. Yeah, no. And I first want to say thank you for sharing your story. I mean, you, there's always so much more than meets the eye. And I think um, that grew my, admir my admiration for you even more because, I mean, your story is similar to a lot of people's out there. And I think hearing that is like that reassurance of like, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not sick. Like, it's possible for me to grow and heal and not with medication. I mean, yes, it helps. Um, but like you said, like, it's also important to explore other areas of healing um, before we get to that point. So I just appreciate you so much for being open. And I am just so glad that your voice is out there. Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, I for people who go through, I don't I don't think people have an obligation mm -hmm. to give back after they've been through it. But what I would say is, we're, we all are children and we go through stuff when we're children. That's what means to be a child is your parents aren't perfect. Life isn't perfect. And so no one gives them a, a playbook of how to raise Ariel and make her the perfect adult human being and how to raise Eric and make him the, the perfect. So your, your job in adulthood is to unlearn certain things, to grow from certain things, to overcome certain things. And so, you know, that, that to me is, is what life is about. It's almost like these two chapters 
um, and we have amazing fun when we're younger, even when we go through those challenges, but then we have to learn how to navigate. And if we can give back to kids from what we learn from, that's, that's the mission that I'm on. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. And I mean, with your work, you're consistently connecting with people in a vulnerable way, whether they're affected with mental health or not. Um, but you're getting to the people and that is a major strength um, and power to have. So I kind of want to ask you now, um, what is the meaning behind same here? Does that, is it aligned with your experiences from your past? Yeah. So same here, I'll give you the Genesis story. Um, when I, you know, realizing that sports and entertainment was the angle through which I'd be able to get people to start talking about what they had been through and not what their label was, the first athlete that I connected with was a guy named Theo Fleury. He, um, it's, a, it's an interesting name. So a lot of youngins don't know him, but he dominated in the 80s and 90s in the NHL. Like anyone who played the game, you know, NHL on uh, on all the different uh, video games, like they, they know him because he was the the little little guy who was quick and fast and could create amazing plays and score goals. And so um, I knew the name just because it's such a unique one. Yeah. And I had heard him share his story and his story is one where he doesn't say I'm Theo Fleury and I had PTSD. It, he was raped by his male coach 150 times over 150 times when he was 16 years old. So power dynamic coach in Canada, Moose Shaw, Saskatchewan, knows that he can take advantage of him because that's his one-way ticket to the NHL. If he doesn't do what the coach asks, he's not getting seen by the scouts in the NHL. So that guy took advantage of him. And Theo kept that in, drank and drugged and sex, gambled and everything, his $50 million that he made in the NHL. Money didn't matter to him because he just needed to do something to take away the pain because he hadn't been able to talk about it. And, and there were certainly not the conversations back in the late 90s and early 2000s that there are right now. Uh, it ended up, unfortunately, well, fortunately, but unfortunately at the time, he had a gun in between his teeth, rattling between his teeth about to end his life. And something came over him to go on this healing journey. And the story I just shared with you was a story he ended up putting in a book uh, called um, uh, Conversations with a Rattlesnake. And, and sorry, Playing with Fire first, then Conversations with a Rattlesnake was number two. Playing with Fire. So he... Um, the name of the book was that because he played for the Calgary Flames, right? Mm -hmm. So big name up in Canada. This is coming to where the, the genesis of the same here name comes from. So he and I are on the phone for the first time. This is in 2017, August of 2017, to give you the exact month. And, and I'm talking to him and he's telling me this story. And he says, when he wrote his book, he goes to, to do his first book signing. It's in Toronto. There's a whole line of people waiting to get his signature. And they're coming up one by one by one by one. And he sees a guy kind of far down on the line and the guy looks homeless he's got a beaten up hat his clothes are all dirty and he's holding the book like this like it's a baby mm -hmm. and, and the guy's not talking to anyone else and he's thinking what could this guy want to say to me like this is it's awkward like everyone else is there with family members or talking next to something so the guy just puts his book down looks him in the eyes pulls his hat up and goes theo me too and i was like holy shit now when i heard that the reason i said august of 2017 this is like a month or two before Alyssa Milano came out with her story of the Me Too movement. Not that the Me Too movement wasn't something before that, but because of social media, uh, her whole Me Too story is what led to the virality of the concept of Me Too. So I'm hearing Theo's story of Me Too, and I'm like, dude, that's the, the strongest thing. That guy said a thousand words to you by saying two words. I've got goosebumps. He said, why do you think I've been doing the work I've been doing the last 10 years? Like that guy's strength. I want to 
be able to provide that to whoever I speak to by sharing my story going around around the world and, and, and speaking about it. And so I said to Theo, if you don't mind, I'm going to go and I want to think of something visually that communicates me too, the way that you just described it to me. And so I go, I don't know why my mind went to the American Sign Language website. And I'm thinking if we could have a visual that shows people making the same sign and sign language is a language and it's a universal language. Well, okay. The symbol for me too, is a, my thumb pointed at my chest like this, three middle mm -hmm. fingers curled like a fist and pinky pointed out at you. And I'm gesturing like me too. Mm -hmm. Well, Alyssa Milano comes out with her story as I'm working with our artists to design our logo. And I called up Theo and I said, this seems like me too is being, you know, taken by the sexual abuse movement the concept of seeing here was meant to be a lot broader. Um, the concept was not, I've been through sexual abuse, you've been through sexual abuse, we've been through the same thing, let's share it. The concept of seeing here is, I've been through challenging life events at all, divorce, job loss, breakup, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, bullying, cyberbullying, sickness of loved ones, loss of loved ones. Those things impact my mental health because I'm a human being. So same here, whatever you've been through, I can relate to you because we're all part of the same human team that goes through this thing called emotional pain. And so same here is meant to create a collective embrace and hug around 8 billion people around the planet to say, what the hell are we doing? This is not about one in five people who are mentally ill. It's about five in five people who go through challenging life events whose mental health is impacted. That was essentially what, what same here has stood for for all this time. And now when we go and we share and we bring it into schools, we bring it into offices, the way it dynamically changes cultures is really what the exciting part is, is, is you see people not afraid to open up because instead it's seen as a badge of strength that they've been able to overcome more so than this fear of who's the crazy one out there. Who's the one who's got it. Yeah. Wow. I think just the saying same here so profound in any way in any conversation that you are having um so I think that it's just so genius and so awesome that you're able to relate that to mental health because it really is so inclusive and like you said it's like we're all on the same team like this doesn't have to be like a competition of like no I've gone through words this has imp impacted me as well but rather than like we're both human beings and we both struggled and we're both feeling a similar way like let's be there for each other so I absolutely love that and now I want to ask you how can we begin to reach out to our communities to start building those connections vulnerability is the first way right like the most mm -hmm. common question you get when you give presentations is how do I get my friend Ariel to open up right just using mm -hmm. your as an example and I say to people all the time like if you ask them how they're doing, they feel like there's a spotlight on them, right? Like th that campaign came out after a long time, like when people were asking, how are you? And the answer was, okay, fine, man, eh, all right. And there wasn't much an answer. So then the next version of that campaign was, how are you, comma, really, with a question mark? Mm -hmm. And I want to pull my hair out at first, right? Because as a marketer, I'm basically saying, Ariel has an answer to me. But now, Ariel, here's the spotlight on you. How are you doing really How's that going to make you feel even more comfortable to open up that I'm calling you on the spot even more? And I get that's not what they were attempting to do. What they were attempting to do is say, Ariel, you didn't really answer me. So let me ask you a little bit more deeply. Yeah. It doesn't work when you put people on the spot, when you ask them to, to. So what works is when you open up and share. So, so to your question about being a leader in a community, it's doesn't matter if it's in your small group of friends. It doesn't matter if it's one-on-one -on -one with a friend. It doesn't matter if it's your family unit doesn't matter if you're able to organize something at school or in your community circle where you invite people, 
you start by sharing your truth and your vulnerability. When you share openly and you tell everyone else in that room, this is me and these are the struggles I've been through, you're giving permission to everyone else. The whole concept of it's okay not to be okay, it's fluff until you share what you've been through. Because they hear it's okay not to be okay and then they go, yeah, I kind of think that Kevin Love is going through something and Simone Biles is going through something and they're celebrities, but I'm not on the same stage they are. So who in my life is actually going through something? Yeah, there's that kid who is homesick and we're not sure if it was mono or if it was actually mental health, but we kind of think mental health. So maybe it's okay not to be okay. Well, let me sit in the circle with you and let me tell you what my story is so you can see what a not okay looks like. Now, once you start doing that internally, you're creating this concept of a safe space where people are able to open up without judgment back to you. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a, a community of people holding hands being like, this is health like any other health. Why aren't we opening up about this? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. And I really appreciate you saying that because I do think that is so true, especially because once we're open first, it gives a reassurance to the other person like, hey, I'm not going to judge you. Hey, I'm going to listen to you like you listen to me. It's like opening up that space for understanding rather than criticizing or um, making your own opinion. And so I I completely agree with um, that vulnerability and how important it can be. And when you have witnessed that um, in the work that you do, how have you seen a change when you do bring people together? Well, it usually starts in little pockets, right? So mm-hmm. every, every again, whether it's a school or an office or a college or even, even military, every single community has three rivers, right? Mm-hmm. River one is the I am mental health, hear me roar river. They're the people who go to yoga classes and bring Tibetan singing bowls and do meditation and believe in this stuff that for so long has been called blue hair pixie dust stuff, right? Most of the people in populations are in river two. So, so if I had to give you a breakdown, this is obviously generalized because different for each population. About you know, 15 to 20% of people are in river one. That means about 60 to 65% of people are in river two, which is I've kind of heard that this mental health thing is picking up steam. I don't follow the holistic psychologist every single day on Instagram, and I don't look at other uh you know mental health accounts on a daily basis the way that you advocates and river one do but people are talking about it more so maybe it applies to me i've never heard anyone explain it to me in a way that i realize that it is me too so i I, i'm open but at the same time i'm not in river one don't count me in that group yet and maybe not ever at all but i'll play a wait and see attitude then you've got people in river three who you know if anyone is no one can see this visually but what i'm doing to ariel is my arms are folded and my chest is out i'm saying that's not me. Sorry, not going to engage in that. Don't even attempt. Interesting thing is people who are in River 3 are the ones who need this more than anyone because they're the ones that they don't want the mirror put up in their face where they have to look at themselves and go, holy shit, I've been through things as well. So when you go into programmatic work and you lead with vulnerability, you lead with storytelling as opposed to leading with clinical psychology and asking people to look for five symptoms of this list of 20 or more for two weeks or more, then you've got this disorder. You're now opening people up to listening to stories. And when they hear the story of brother being sick, then think about the generalities of my particular story. There is a organ transplant, doesn't have to be a kidney. There is cancer, doesn't have to be ALL like my brother had. There is sickness of a sibling, doesn't have to be a sibling, could be another loved one in your family. 
There's loss of friends, right? Can anyone not relate to a loss of a friend at some point in our life for probably over the age of 15? So you add these things up and the people who are in river two and river three start to move towards river one. Doesn't mean we get everyone into river one, but what you start to see happen is people start to go, that is me. It is five and five. Wow. And as river one becomes more and more fortified, it's no longer the 15%. It becomes 25 and 30% because you're migrating people from the other 60 or 65% in river two into river one. So now all of a sudden river one and river two start to get to be the same size. And people in river three eventually got to make a decision. Holy cow, there's mass migration going on culturally into river one. I don't have as many friends in river two who can talk out of both sides of their mouth and relate to me in river three with me. So what am I going to do here? Am I going to be the outcast and ostracize myself and not talk about it at all? Or am I going to lower my guard a little bit and be open? And I don't want to create a panacea that makes you believe that every single person, every population who's in river three, all of a sudden goes, yep, I'm ready. Let me dive into two and then dive into one. That doesn't happen. But when you start to see the migration into the rivers going, you know, from, from three to two, two to one, it's a beautiful thing. And it, it, it creates this peer-to-peer -peer network where we're not waiting for catastrophe and crisis to happen. We're nipping things in the bud earlier because we're having conversations earlier. We're not allowing things to build cumulatively where they eventually take us down. Yeah. Wow. I can see why you're successful in what you do because I'm listening to you. I'm like, yes, like the visuals, like it all makes sense. And I hope for everyone listening that you're just as captivated as I am because um, that's just a beautiful way to explain it. And I, I've seen this personally in my life when I'm talking to a friend and we had both been in a dark mental health space together. And now that we have healed and we have been learning more about mental health, um, we have like this intellectual conversations of like how are you and like we'll really go into it and like we're like wait like this means that maybe we're getting close to burnout like let's do something about it and so um as you're explaining that that's what was coming into my head as far as like if we if one was in the dark mental health space and one was you know already very aware of the situation that they're in like kind of pulls you out a little bit like you can't refrain from not being aware when someone is there talking about it and bringing it up so um I really love how you explain that because that's just like it's what happens behind the scenes like we see the shift but in reality like that is what's happening like the slow grab of um just being open yeah, and and one one piece of it, because you asked me the question about it, is opening up and vulnerability to each other. Yeah. The other piece of it, when you're talking about the dark places that we are or have been, mm -hmm. it's being able to put language and meaning behind what the dark place means. Mm -hmm. So when you say I'm close to burnout, what does that mean to people? And the mm -hmm. facetious thing I ask everyone, because we've created a tool to try to combat this, yeah. is when I ask you, Ariel, how are you? There is zero common language in mental health for you to explain to me how you're doing. There's no way. So, so how is it that with all the forms of health, I can tell you what my weight is and whether it went up or down, what my temperature is and whether it went up and down, what my hormone levels are, whether they went up and down, what my inflammation in my cells are when they went up and down, my enzyme levels, whether they went up and down. But with my mental health, all I can say is I'm depressed or I'm not. I'm anxious or I'm not. That's bullshit. That's not how mental health works. It lives on a continuum just like physical health does. So we have a scale that shows people how to measure their mental health in terms of the shifts and changes that happen physiologically and biologically in their system. So they can go, I'm not just believing I'm close to burning out. Well, based on the factors that I'm seeing here, I am much closer to this thing. We call it sinking in, in the burnout phase. 
where I need to do something about it. I can't allow this just to continue to linger on anymore. And I don't want people to ever suffer into the place that I suffered before where they're waiting, waiting, waiting. And then eventually the rug gets pulled out from underneath them. And, okay. Well now I'm out on the sideline for the next two years waiting for someone to fix me. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that now that you brought up um, this talk about mental health and not having that common language, I mean, we can feel the urge to be open and to be vulnerable, but for a lot of people, it's like not knowing how. So can you explain a little bit of how we can start having these conversations of mental health, but also make them productive? Yeah. So if you ask people on a scale of one to 10, how are they doing? Mm-hmm. Just intuitively, they could try to give you a number. The problem is, that when you do it numerically, well, I should say the problem, there's two main problems. One, if you put a numeric value to your mental health, now all of a sudden you're being judged, which is the worst thing for your mental health. I'm a zero out of 10. I'm a loser. I can't get out of bed. I'm, 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 I'm feel like a lead blanket is on top of me. I'm a 10. I'm amazing. Uh, nothing's ever going to be wrong with me. I don't have to work on my mental health. And then that's, that's problem. Number one is that the numerics come with judgment. Problem number two is there's a five in the middle of a zero to 10, which is a middle answer, which is the same thing as saying I'm met at fine and okay, which means I'm not giving an answer at all. So we have a six point scale that's not numeric based on emoji faces. And it starts all the way in kindergarten or pre-K all the way up to CEOs that we use it with companies that we partner with. And the places on the scale are thriving, gliding, surviving, fluctuating, struggling, sinking. And you understand where you're at on that scale based on the colors of the emojis, based on the faces of the emojis, and then based on thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that are listed underneath each one of those six places. So now when I check in with you, how are you doing, Ariel? And you've got a linear plane to be able to show me where you're at. I look at that, and especially in an app form that we now have it available in, I can see your trends over time. Oh, okay, Ariel's been struggling the last three days. I better check in on her. Or she herself has been noticing she's been struggling the last three days. She's tracking and trending that over time. And it's related to these things that are going on in her life. Wow, here's the other piece of it. Three months down the road, when I'm struggling three days in a row now, again, I don't freak out and go, I'm never getting out of this phase. Because you get to see that three months prior, you had the three days in a row of struggling and went back to, let's say, gliding a day later, because this is one of the exercises that you did. But we don't right now have that language. <laughs> so that's that's what we've been working on implementing in schools, with doctor's offices, in, in, in corporate offices, is providing that language, providing the visual so that people can check in with one another. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that is so um, useful and necessary because, like you said, a lot of things can be translated in different ways. And if we're not clear as far as like where exactly we stand, it can really be lost in translation as far as like having those product um, productive conversations go. And so because a lot of the conversations around mental health um uses a lot of stigmatizing language um, and misconception. I want to ask you how we can start to eliminate that stigma surrounding mental health. So there's there's a number of different ways. Words are a big piece of it. Um, I think that the first thing is we have to do away with statistics completely. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've shared the one in five thing many times. Like one in five people have depression. One in five people have anxiety. One in five people are mentally ill. One in five people have a hangnail. Like, what does that tell? Like, it didn't matter. It wouldn't matter if the number went to the two and five, three and five, four and five. Mm-hmm. The second you have something in something, you're telling people there's a group of people affected and there's a group of people unaffected. 
when there's a group of people unaffected, I mean, you're a woman, they talk about statistics with breast cancer. Most people go, I'm not going to be the one that has that, right? So, okay, at least with breast cancer, you could do a check at home on your own, right? You're in the shower, whatever. Okay, people tell me I should do it. With mental health, because you can push it to the side, you're immediately, your mind goes to, that's not me. I'm not the crazy one. So the first thing is we have to do away with statistics and just get down the reality. It's five and five. Every one of us has mental health and mental health wanes for every single one of us. And it's something we need to stay on top of. Second thing is it's ironic because I get asked this question all the time. How do we get rid of the stigma? We have to stop using the term stigma in our campaigns. <laughs> like one, you're reminding people that stigma exists when you say stop, stop, break the racist stigma. That's number. That's problem number one. Problem number two is the term stigma means human beings are forming unfair opinions and judgments about other human beings. So if you and your friends, Ariel and Michelle and, and, and Lisa, are, are going on my social media page and I'm in May with my hashtag, stop the stigma, break the stigma, that message is being meant for someone. And Ariel, Michelle, Lisa, guess what? You're the healthy ones and you've not said the nicest things in the world to me. So I want you to be the one who's stopping doing mean things to me and my friends who are the mentally ill sick ones. Whether you internalize that directly or indirectly, Stop the stigma is pointed at. It's not pointed at my phone. It's not pointed at my bottle of water that I'm holding. It's pointed at people. That doesn't bring people together. That moves people further apart. So, so that's that's number two. And number three is we have to get away from the incessant use of labels as the only way that we're describing what mental health is. So Kevin Love has anxiety and panic attack. You know, Simone Biles had depression during the Olympics. Uh, Kanye West has bipolar. Again, okay, that's what they have. That's the not 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 who they are as a person. It's the manifestation of all the problems that built up over time from what they lived through. We got to get away the layers of labeling. Let them be part of what's needed for insurance coverage and all that stuff to put the codes in there. We got to start talking as human beings about the challenges we go through. That's the only way we come together in the five and five reality becomes something we're willing to talk about. Wow. That was so valuable. I obviously I'm aware of these things, um, but the way that you just described them is so impactful because at the end of the day, you're just looking at everyone as human for who they are, what they have experienced, because that's what makes us is the experiences that we go through. And I just really love that because you're right with mental health, we're easy to put the label and make that label that person when of course, there's so much that goes behind that. And at one point, if they didn't experience something, maybe they wouldn't um, be dealing with this. And so I, I really appreciate everything you just said. And this whole conversation has just been so awesome and so insightful. And I just feel so lucky that we got to have you on here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I think these conversations taking place more frequently with all advocates talking with each other, you know, it, it doesn't matter if 10 people listen to it, if 10 million people listen to it, every time a new, you know, podcast like this and conversation gets shared, it's shedding light on yet another person who may listen to it and go, I've not heard it explained that way. So yeah, for doing the work and encourage you to keep doing it. So Eric's Instagram, I just wanted to share it. Um, it is same here underscore global. If you guys want to check that out, I definitely recommend that you do. Um, and just thank you again, Eric, for being here with us today. 
Alrighty, that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I will catch you guys in the next one. Bye!